I'm Sienna, the kid. I'm Sarah, the mom. Whether you're a young person wanting to learn more about these issues or their parent wanting to find ways to connect, we want you to join us as we tackle some important subjects. If you can't have these conversations in your household yet, we hope to help by having them here. Welcome to Queer Kids Straight Mom. Let's talk. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Queer Kids Straight Mom. We hope everybody has had an excellent January and that 2023 is off to a good start for you. Today, we're going to talk about some of our favorite LGBTQ plus TV shows that came out last year, 2022. So if you have a favorite show that has great representation, we may not be covering it today just because it didn't come out last year. What we did kind of start our list was some research on shows that have gotten a lot of attention on a lot of different forums for being good LGBTQ plus representation and watched some of those and we ranked them, which ones were our favorites and Sienna and I's lists. The order I think might be a little different, even though we have the same five shows to talk about today. All right. So yeah, I'm going to go over these in random order because it's hard enough for me to remember all the names of the shows. So you don't have to worry about me spoiling the order. The first one is Heartstopper. It was a webcomic that then became a series of graphic novels that then got made into a TV show by Alice Osman. It's on Netflix and it is the story of Nick and Charlie, who are two British high schoolers. Charlie is gay and is kind of dealing with all of the nonsense that that entails being a gay high schooler. You are going to see an emerging theme, I think, amongst these TV shows. He ends up meeting this guy, Nick, who's on the rugby team, and they're, they have one of their classes together. They end up getting, like, kind of developing this friendship, and Charlie decides to join the rugby team in order to spend more time with Nick, which, I mean, let's be real, who hasn't done something like that to impress a crush. I actually got into Marvel movies because I wanted to impress this cute girl in my biomed class. So, you know, and there's just this really sweet relationship that folds out over the course of the TV show. And there are also a lot of really great side characters. You've got mainly Charlie's group of friends. So that is how Isaac and Elle, who used to go to their school, but has transferred to Um, an all-girls school uh, after she transitioned. And so there's kind of that subplot going on. So really, really, it's got a lot of different layers to it. Next up, we have First Kill, which is, again, on Netflix. This is about two high schoolers, this time in the United States, one of whom is a vampire and one of whom is a vampire hunter. Classic kind of Romeo and Juliet story set up there, especially because what was interesting to me about this is that there is a lot more family involvement than you typically see in a lot of these young love star cross lovers things. So actually, although you're getting the relationship between these two girls, you're also seeing a lot of the dynamics in their families and between the two families as well, which I really liked. I feel like I should talk more about the plot, but to be honest, like there's not really the plot is not that substantial. It's not that substantial. This, I mean, I feel like this show is really entertaining, but like not super complicated, I guess. It's Um, yeah, they're, they're in love 
One of them is a vampire hunter. One of them is a vampire. That's the main premise. Like, there's some stuff that happens, but that's about all you need to know. Buffy the Vampire Slayer meets Clueless meets Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. That's an incredibly accurate description. (laughs) Okay. So then next up, we have high school. Okay, I lied. Apparently, there is an order. We're going through all the high school ones first. So yes, high school is a sort of fictionalized biography of the lives of the music duo Tegan and Sarah. Uh, I'm not overly familiar with them, but because I am sort of in the loop when it comes to queer pop culture, I am aware of their existence. So this is kind of an interesting look into their background and what it was like for them growing up in high school again. An interesting, we've got British high school kids, American high school kids, and this one takes place in Canada. True. All the white high schoolers. So, yes. Actually, it's an interesting setup, the way the show is structured, because you'll kind of have the day, each episode will be the day from one character's perspective, and then sort of rewind and go through the day from another character's perspective. Um, And sometimes it's roughly 50-50, like if you get the day from Tegan's perspective and then the day from Sarah's perspective, and then sometimes it'll be a really quick, like sort of montage of a day from one character's perspective, and then a more in-depth version from another character's perspective. So it sort of fits together in this cool way. And then next up, we have A League of Their Own. So now we're moving out of the high school to, this would be 19... 40s women's baseball, which was very briefly a thing in the 1940s because all of the men got sent to war and they were like, darn, we kind of still want to watch baseball and all the hot young men are gone. Let's get some hot young women, which I say that facetiously, but it ends up being a really significant part of the show because, of course, ostensibly these women are supposed to be playing baseball, but the public perception is very much one of, well, they're still women. They still have to act appropriately. They have to wear skirts and wear makeup and and be likable on the field. And so you get some conflict between that and, you know, these women who really just want to play baseball because they're very dedicated to the sport. And so that was quite an interesting dynamic to explore. And then basically everyone on the team is queer, which is awesome. Except for the one very, very homophobic woman. Yeah. She was a Karen. (laughs) She's like the OG Karen. Anyway, so yeah, it follows this woman named Carson who sort of ditches her whole life on a, not not on a whim, exactly that makes it sound flippant, but very suddenly ditches her whole life to go play baseball, to go try out for this team, Rockford Peaches, and makes the team. And then uh, it's, it's a mix of, you know, some really well done sports scenes in my opinion i remember listening to uh, a commentary on this show because it's it's based on a movie from the oh would that be 80s 90s 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 movie where they were like yeah and no one in this movie looks like they're playing baseball the scenes in this like they look like they're playing baseball um so you know you've got that sort of sports element going on and then you've got a more in-depth exploration of what it meant to be a queer woman in the 1940s which spoiler alert not a good time so there's a lot of different things going on there as well and then last but not least we have our flag means death which is Probably the most out there of all of these shows. It is about Steed Bonnet, a very, very, very fictionalized version of a real set of historical events where this rich dude, Steed Bonnet, was like, okay, I'm kind of sick of being just like some rich dude in the Caribbean. I'm going to go be a pirate. 
So he went and became a pirate and ended up meeting up with Blackbeard and a whole bizarre set of events ensued. And they, again, this is real life, not the show, but in real life, they ended up becoming enemies and just a whole lot of random nonsense. But this show is like, okay, we can work with that. The very, very, very basic premise of Steed Bonnet, rich guy, decides to go be a pirate and meets Blackbeard and also assembles this sort of rogue gallery of a crew, which I actually think is, again, just as important of a part of the show as the main relationship and the main characterization of Steed is you've got all of these different dynamics and relationships between these different crew members, which I really think sort of forms the foundation of the show. My Um, super fast summary of this one is imagine throwing a bunch of drama kids in a room and saying, gay pirate story, go. That's, yeah, again, very accurate. It's So it's incredibly funny. It's really emotional, but honestly, also just a great comedy. So those those are the five. Like I said, we're probably going to put them in slightly different order. I don't know. So at number five, I put high school. Reminds me stylistically of like my so-called life, which I really, really liked in the 90s. A little, not dark, I wouldn't say dark, but just like a very realistic, I think, portrayal of what it feels like being at high school. I think it's really well acted. The characters are intriguing. It's, you know, you're seeing kids sort of explore the queerness at a time that it wasn't certainly not like the 40s, but also still not something that people were open about per se. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. I definitely recommend it. It's not one of the ones I'm most excited about, but I definitely recommend it. Number four, I probably have first kill. Like I said earlier, very entertaining. I certainly wanted to like, what's going to happen next? Definite soapy air to it, especially with the main character, Juliet. Sister is like the quintessential soap opera villain. I think... Well, but the thing is, I think she's more complicated than that. I mean, she's complicated just in her behavior, I guess. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's sort of like when you say a mix of all these different things, like... I guess what's nice about it being a mix of all these different things is like you get some of the like fun soap stuff, but then you get you get like a little bit. It's not like, you know, layers upon layers and brilliant characterization, but a little bit more nuanced than you might expect from just a soap. A little bit. Yeah, I agree. And one thing I think is interesting is we did that episode on queer coding a while ago. And obviously it's not queer coding because characters in this show are like just matter-of-factly, blatantly queer. But I'm seeing so much of a metaphor in the vampirism with teenage queerness. The the experiences that Juliet has with this is the way I am and it's a really complicated, problematic in some ways because of people's reaction to it, way that I am, but I can't help the way that I am and... But I think a lot of that anguish that teenagers work through before realizing that, like, it's great the way that I am, no matter how people react to it. I feel like I'm seeing some of that in her. Mm-hmm. And then um, Calliope, the vampire hunter's family, even though, so maybe it is queer coding because even though Calliope is gay and her family knows that, 
their reaction to Juliet being a vampire, I feel like is very reminiscent of how a set of parents who don't know that their kid is gay might react to their love interest. Even though in this show, it's because she's a vampire. It's very much the way I see, I would see parents reacting to like finding out that their daughter is involved with another girl. She's doing these things to you. You need to stay away from her. She's control, you know, just that, I don't know. Go ahead and say what you're going to say. Well, that's a great point that I hadn't really thought of. But I mean, one of the things that I appreciate about this show is that there's a little a little bit of sort of implied homophobia with her best friend's love interest. But for the most part, I don't think there's any like explicit homophobia or judgment like about like the explicit queerness. But it's still obviously dealing with themes of queerness, exactly what you were saying, right? Um, and I think there are there are a couple of really explicit parts where, like, for instance, when her friend finds out that she's a vampire, spoilers, I guess, and he's like, well, what are your parents are going to freak out? And she's like, oh, they already know. And he's like, and they accept it. And I mean, the kind of nice thing about like, obviously, there's a whole lot of weirdness going on with her family. But I mean, one of the really lovely things that it's doing is that, you know, typically a queer kid growing up, it's not something like race or religion, or, you know, sort of generational identities. It's a lot of times, a kid is going to be the only queer person in their family. And no matter how supportive their parents are, there's always going to be that kind of, I have to tell them about this. I have to explain this to them. And in this world, that would be the case for someone who got turned into a vampire, right? But because Juliet's family is this kind of legacy vampire thing that's going on, she has this sort of unwavering support from her family and they don't always agree with her. And sometimes there's conflict but it's very much fundamentally a loving family parental relationship. And it's just, yeah, it's really interesting when you put it in the context of kind of queer coding underneath the explicit queerness. Queer subtext, maybe. Yeah, it's it's definitely campy, but there is stuff to take out of it and think about. And it's fun. It's really very entertaining. So um, this one did not get renewed, unfortunately. So the one season is it. And all the questions you are left with after the last episode, if you watch it, you apparently will be left with forever. God, I was so upset because I was like, I, I was entertained, but not necessarily invested until the very last episode. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, now I really like, I really care about what happens. And it's like, no, nope, <laughs> sucker. Yeah. Totally. All right. So my number three is A League of Their Own. I really enjoyed watching it. I saw the movie way back when. I, you know, liked it, but didn't love it. But I I found this TV series much more compelling. Love the characters. I, I know we had this little conversation after one of the episodes that I could see how some people could consider this a a gay show for straight people because your reaction to one of the episodes was... I don't need to know how traumatic that was. I know how traumatic that was for a lot of the things that were happening to gay people in the 40s. But I think there are plenty of people that don't really think about how traumatic that was. And so I think those those more difficult to watch parts are still important for at least some segment of the audience. And yeah, I mean, it's sports, great character development, 
I bawled my eyes out at one of the dramatic sports scenes near the end, like I do with any great sports movie. Yeah, I just really liked it. I thought it was very well made and I was invested in the characters and very intriguing and very interesting to find out a little bit about gay subculture in the 40s. It's pretty interesting to me. Yeah, I guess it's interesting thinking about it. Um, Like this is really, it hits all the beats of a sports movie, which is perfect for you. But it's about women, which is already really rare in sports movies. At least, at least from what I'm aware. Um, and then it's about queer women, which is even rarer. Right. Yeah. So I, I thought that was a really, really good one. Highly recommend it. Uh, my number two is Our Flag Means Death. Very entertaining. I think it's not for everybody. If you would find being closed in the classroom while all the theater kids were acting out gay pirate story, if that would ever annoy you or you would want out, then it's it's not your not your TV show. I don't know what you're talking about. Who wouldn't enjoy that? <laughs> it's definitely over the top in some ways and just wacky and but highly entertaining if if you are entertained by that kind of thing. I love that character development between Steed and Blackbeard. It's kind of a slow slow development that's really fun to watch. By the time they start developing a relationship, you're like really excited about their relationship, which speaks to the excellent acting by Reese Darby and Taika Waititi. They're just quite a pair playing off of each other. And it's it's fun to watch. You know, it's a little you have to be okay with like some of the gross pirate humor and stuff like that. And I don't mind it at all. I think it's really funny and definitely some of those things that appeal to my seventh grade boy sense of humor. I but- actually normally don't find that stuff as funny and i really enjoyed it so for what that's worth yeah it's it's highbrow and lowbrow coexisting happily together which is fun and the racist boat gets set on fire and there are definitely moments of revenge that like make you happy yeah it's just a great it's well it's well made and we all know some of that stuff was going on with pirates come on so it's just kind of fun to see this group of incredibly talented actors just having fun with that motif it's really good my number one is heartstopper i didn't know anything about this show when you suggested watching it together and when we we first started watching and i was like okay it's high school kids like how much am i going to get into this but i absolutely loved this show. It's got a great soundtrack. It's colorful. It's fun to watch. Again, amazing cast. These two stars, Joe Locke and Kit Connor, are now that I have actually seen the comic, like perfectly cast in this role. And their chemistry is incredible. And I think as an adult. For me as a parent, it was just so incredibly soothing because so much of what we see in the media is the trauma that our gay kid is going to go through or our trans kid or what, you know, like the bad things that are going to happen, the drama, the the things we have to be scared of. And this was just like this colorful basking in queer joy. Like this was watching the fun and excitement and thrill and sweetness of falling in love without the, I mean, there's the seriousness of Nick not, you know, being taken by surprise by his feelings for Charlie. 
And that's definitely like he has to explore that. And there's this serious journey there. But he's not like grossed out or horrified. He's it's just handled very gracefully. And I think that we don't usually see the stories of the kids that are like, oh, this turns out to be who I'm attracted to. Okay. And it's this hope that like if you do have a kid who's LGBTQ that like maybe they're going to meet a Nick instead of all the like scary, horrible people we see in so many of these shows, you know, that there are sweet, beautiful love stories out there for them too, not just the sad stories. And that for me was so uplifting. Like I found so much joy and reassurance in that. So I would say that's why this one made the top of my list. It was surprising. It was hopeful. It Every time I thought something like bad and traumatic was going to happen, like, oh, he's talking now. I see what's going to happen. He's going to see him talking to him and it's all going to go downhill. Oh, it didn't. We're still having fun, you know, and that it was just I think it's been a rough few years for everybody. And this was exactly what I needed this show. And, you know, there are certainly nods, like you said, there are nods to homophobia and there are nods to transphobia and the things that everybody has to go through. Um, But it's not beating you over the head with it. And it's not exactly. It's not just like queer trauma, queer trauma, queer trauma, nonstop. Be sad. It's like a lot of joy and learning to deal with some of the homophobia and understanding that there are crap people in the world. But. It's not a show about homophobia, and it's not even really a show about being gay. It's a show about identity and young love and how that manifests in different ways for different people. And it just happens to be that it's really super queer. Exactly. Okay, so now I will go through my... Top five. I think it's actually going to be pretty reasonably similar um, with a, a couple of minor adjustments. Um, so number five for me was also high school. Um, I'm going to be honest, this just like is not my style of show at all. It's about angsty high schoolers, which I am only a year and a half away from being an angsty high schooler. I don't need to watch more of that nonsense. There's a lot of substance use, which is just personally for me, not a fun thing to watch. So, and then (laughs) what mom was saying about, and then you're like, oh, the bad thing that I thought was going to happen didn't happen. Yeah, this is more the bad thing that you thought was going to happen did happen. And it, it makes sense, right? It's dealing with being a high schooler. Um, in a specific time period, and it's it's dealing with some real life material, so it makes sense that it might be a little bit heavier. But you know, for me, that's just not necessarily what I am drawn to watching in the best of times. And in addition, visually, I just didn't find it as compelling. Uh, again, it's a little bit a little bit more on the kind of gray, grim tone side in terms of visuals, which is an appropriate tone for some shows, certainly, but I generally, unless it's going to be like a dark fantasy or a horror show or something, I'm like, I don't know, that's not as much fun to watch. It's just not. So in general, um, certainly well-crafted, well-acted, interesting, interesting stuff going on. Uh, honestly, the, the part that I was most 
compelled by was actually the mom's storyline. I guess I, I have that opinion for multiple of these shows. <laughs> We're like switching roles here. Interesting. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, that that it was fine. Um, not really my thing, but I think that has to do more with personal preference than it being, you know, badly made. I would say for me, third and fourth are actually sort of ties between First Kill and A League of Their Own. Mainly because they're so stylistically disparate that I'm like, this is apples and oranges. I don't know how I'm supposed to compare this, right? We've got, you know, campy soap opera, Buffy, Baz Luhrmann kind of thing going on with First Kill. And then we've got like a very serious, candid show with a league of their own. Earnest, I would say, is a good word for league of their own. And I would say like, I appreciated both of them but in such different ways that I just don't even know how to rank the appreciation, right? With First Kill, it's it's junk food TV, and I say that with love. I like junk food. <laughs> That's perfect. I like a bag of popcorn. Big fan. It's not asking you to put in a lot of brain power. You're, you know, you might be emotionally invested, but it's not an emotional workout. Whereas when I was watching A League of Their Own... I was feeling like it was a lot of emotional investment. Um, You know, there was like characters were dealing with really difficult things. They were, you know, doing and saying crappy things to one another, but you're still sympathetic to all of them. And it's just a completely different viewing experience. So again, going back to First Kill, there were lots of things that I liked about it you know I, I i'm perfectly happy to watch something that's going for that kind of 80s vampire style where like all of a sudden everything's tinted red and there's like <laughs> this dramatic vocal music in the background and like all just like drama and nonsense and like lots of dramatic fight scenes and and blood and really fake looking <laughs> but my problem with that then stylistically is that they were not very consistent about making the monsters like with practical effects. So, you know, there was like a zombie that was, I thought, you know, well, like well done practical effects. But for the most part, all of the special effects were sort of CGI and not even like great CGI, like probably more like a a late 80s, 90s CGI, as opposed to like what you get from, you know, those classic 80s fantasy movies, you know, thinking like the original Star Wars, Labyrinth, all that kind of thing, where you've got, you know, really entertaining practical effects. And I just think that this show would have been vastly improved if they had committed to their aesthetic on that level. Pick a bad special effects era and stick with it. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Like, right? Because if you do your practical effects, then it's like, okay, well, this is like the campy 80s vibe. That's awesome. If you do bad CGI, then you're like, this is just bad CGI. Um, (laughs) So, you know, I just, I think that would have been a significant improvement. That has nothing to do with queerness. That's just my opinion. (laughs) But, you know, I... This is also going to be a thing that I come back to repeatedly, and it's one of the things that I think Our Flag Means Death absolutely nailed, was typically what we see with these shows is it'll be um, eight episodes, and you sort of get right into the action, right into the character development, right into the, you know, the romantic relationship, and... Our Flag Means Death does a 10-episode structure, which I'll get to more when I talk about that show. But I think 
having those extra two episodes allows for a level of characterization that you don't see necessarily for sure in First Kill. And then I think even in A League of Their Own, I think it would have benefited from that extra level before we're immediately thrown into. And now there's these two characters and they will be in love and here's their relationship. Which brings me to A League of Their Own. Again, very different viewing experience. A lot of things that I think it does very well. Um, It captures just so many different sort of ways of being queer, not just in this time period, but overall. Um, And sort of, in particular, people's different responses to homophobia, whether that sort of staying in the closet at all costs or wanting to sort of have your heterosexual assimilationist life, but then also, on the other hand, have this sort of queer lifestyle going on, people for whom there's not really any hiding their queerness. And so they're like, for some of them, they're just trying to get by in heterosexual society. And then for some of whom it's just sort of a rejection of heterosexual society. And it's just like that spectrum was very, like, I really, I think did a great job of capturing, you know, a lot of times either it's like everybody's butch lesbians, or maybe you're like, okay, so you've got like the butch lesbians and then you've got the femme lesbians. And you're like, well, yeah, that's still reductive. Um, And yeah, it was just... I, I, I really liked all the different characters and like I disliked all the different characters at different moments um, because sometimes again, like I said, they were awful to each other. Um, and then that, that was another thing I thought was the way that the sort of oppression of the time period led people to kind of turn against each other, even within their own community. One thing that I didn't mention when I was describing the show, but I think is very important is that the entire show is split between the Rockford Peaches and someone, this girl who attempts to try out for them, but is told that she can't because she's black. And so kind of her trying to find a team that will let her play baseball. And it a, just a great exploration of the intersection of blackness and womanhood and queerness. Like, well, you can't join this team because you're black, but you can't join this team because you're a woman. And this team is going to judge you for both of those things just a great job of capturing that. And then also Max's whole journey of discovering her identity. She is still interacting with her family, which most of the characters aren't throughout the whole show. And so that's sort of where you get that element of queerness, that family dynamic. And she ends up meeting her uncle Bertie, who is trans, which I was I was really not expecting. I think they mm-hmm. did a really great job with that character. He's living with his wife and he has like these queer parties and he's connected with like black queer communities across the whole country. And that was just amazing because black queer community in the 1940s is a thing that I don't think I have ever seen any media about, especially Mm. not like a relatively mainstream TV show. So I thought that was really phenomenal. Yeah, that was a fascinating storyline. And then, yeah, there was a scene when I talk about the kind of emotional involvement, this definitely leans more into the queer trauma arena for me. And I know people like my girlfriend, for instance, who wouldn't even be able to watch this show because of how kind of overtly violent it is in some places. So I would agree, like, I, you know, I, I'm queer. I watched it. It was, it was 
hard to watch in areas, but you know, I thought I, I got stuff out of it, but there are people like queer people for whom this would just not even be accessible for that reason. So I would definitely agree that it probably is of more value for straight people. But I do think it's the the one particular episode that was really difficult to watch. I don't want to go into too much detail, but was actually quite a well-crafted scene. And there was sort of this theme, which I thought was really clever. They used The Wizard of Oz as a theme for that whole episode, which is brilliant because many of you will probably be familiar with the term Friends of Dorothy, um, (laughs) which was something that people started saying right after Wizard of Oz came out because there's some line in Wizard of Oz about what queer friends you have, Dorothy. And so you know, that that just became a thing. And I've heard this anecdotal story that the FBI actually spent a lot of money trying to figure out who Dorothy was, um, <laughs> which I just think is hilarious. Might not be true. Totally sounds like something the FBI would do. So yeah, anyway, lots of thoughts and feelings. Good show. Can't necessarily recommend it to queer people without qualification, in my opinion. So that brings me to Heartstopper, which is my number two. And yeah, I I love this show. This was just so much fun to watch. So pretty. Just so much joy. I mean, really everything she just said. You just said, I don't know how we're referring to each other in this. I just realized anyway. <laughs> just amazing. You know, really, really diverse. And again, kind of capturing a broad spectrum of queer representation, um, which I think is becoming more of a trend in these shows, which is really nice. These more recent uh, queer shows. Yeah. I mean, just so nice. Also, like this is one of the great benefits of bringing in like a really new voice being like, oh, everybody really likes this webcomic. Huh. Maybe we should have her contribute to a TV show. Right. Is you end up with something that's not just generic high school romance drama plot it's new and it's fresh and it was really refreshing to watch that and just so much fun so sweet as you can tell i I just have like only positive adjectives to throw at this show great soundtrack um and yeah like like you said the actors all did such a good job you know the actors look like high schoolers and they're acting like high schoolers which isn't necessarily something you always get in these shows And again, like I mentioned earlier, there's also this sort of subplot with Elle, who is a transgender girl who transferred to an all-girls school, and like kind of watching her make friends and her relationship with Tao and everybody kind of coping with the fact that one of their best friends has moved on and just really, just a really well-crafted story. And again, I feel like so much of when we watch media, we're like, huh, this is like fine, but it's not anything unique or special. And like, that's because we keep having the same people make stories over and over again. And when you bring in new voices, you get masterpieces like this. Yeah, that's a good point. And so now, finally, numero uno, we have Our Flag Means Death, uh, which is possibly my favorite television show I have ever watched in my entire life. So many things to recommend it, in my opinion. So like I was mentioning with that structure, um, it's 10 episodes instead of eight episodes, which is probably a pretty bold production choice because it's more budget, it's more episodes, it's a longer audience commitment, although each episode is only half an hour, um, which does differentiate it a little bit from some of the, the longer shows. 
And then, of course, like the majority of the first three episodes, you don't actually see Blackbeard at all. So those first three episodes are almost exclusively about building this foundation of this really dorky guy who has no idea what he's doing, trying to be a pirate captain, and his relationship with his crew, who at first they're like, yeah, this is ridiculous. We're totally just going to throw him overboard. And then kind of, well, okay, you know, he's paying us, like, whatever. Oh, he reads us stories. That's nice. (laughs) And, you know, kind of building, building up to this found family crew. And by building that foundation, there is so much more for the next seven episodes to build on. And so I think that was absolutely the right choice. One of the other things I think it does exceptionally well is the way it deals with homophobia and toxic masculinity. I mentioned earlier, oh, it's so nice that this isn't dealing with uh, homophobia in a really whacking you over the head kind of way. Our Flag Means Death is really interesting because it does not ever overtly deal with homophobia. There are a couple of lines that you're like, okay, this could very much be interpreted in a this character is being homophobic way. And I would choose to interpret them that way. But it's not ever like beating someone up because they're queer or throwing slurs at someone or anything violent like that. That's because it's choosing to deal with it in a really careful, subtle way so that you can watch the show and just have fun with the nonsense and enjoy the cute relationship. But also, if you sort of scratch beneath the surface just a little bit, there's a phenomenal narrative going on about how toxic masculinity, like the different ways it causes people to behave and how it causes them to hurt themselves and how it causes them to hurt others. You know, you've got a couple of characters who are just sort of the embodiment of toxic masculinity. And I would argue that the entire show is actually about what toxic masculinity does to people and sort of repressing your identity does to people. And yet again, it's not explicit. It's not shoving it in your face. It's a more nuanced narrative that you can sort of choose whether or not to engage with. And I think it's just masterfully, masterfully written that way. It's a good way to put it. A decent majority of the characters are not white and There's definitely some racism in the show, but every single time someone's racist, they get slapped in the face or stabbed through the hand or have their boat set on fire. There's a level of sort of instant gratification with that kind of stuff (laughs) that is just it's a lot more enjoyable to watch than something like A League of Their Own, where you've got to kind of be dealing with all of this sexism and all of this homophobia and all of this racism for the entire show. And even though it ends, you know, on a decent note, like it's still fundamentally, there's a lot of racism and sexism and homophobia. And Our Flag Means Death, again, never minimizes it and never ignores it, but also just slaps it in the face. And I love it. That's the great thing about a pirate show. All right. Yeah, these were all great shows. It's really nice to see all this stuff coming out that is, you know, the gay teenagers can see themselves represented in some of these shows. And parents like me can see stories other than here's the like very sad life your child is going to live. Good stuff out there. These were all fun to watch. And I would recommend, I guess, other than what Sienna said about the warning about A League of Their Own, I would probably recommend these to anybody. I tried to watch Interview with the Vampire 
because that was one that I had read about also on this list. And I didn't even make it through a whole episode. And I'm sorry if that offends anybody that loves this show. Not only was it violent in a way that even I just found really unsettling, but I felt like portraying a gay character as that kind of predatory monster right now just felt very counterproductive. And Sienna pointed out they can't always, there have to be like gay villains too. And I totally agree that just the predatory nature was really upsetting to me. Well, I have so many thoughts on this topic and we might need to do an entire episode about it at some point, but just a few bullet points for right now. First, yeah, being able to represent marginalized groups as not being sort of the ideal, perfect, wonderful, good person is a sign of social progress. But you can't just say, look, we have an evil, predatory, vampire, gay guy. Progress! No, the progress is that you can do that and it won't make people want to go out and murder someone. And we are not at that point as a society. And I want to make sure that doesn't come across as flippant, because I mean that in a really serious way. This is a thing that gay men get murdered over. It is a thing that gets us attacked by legislators and have our rights taken away over. It is a thing that has terrorist groups showing up at children's book readings. This stereotype is incredibly harmful. And I can understand why people are like, well, there's an interesting story to tell here. Maybe. But I don't think that we're at a point in society where you can tell that story without doing damage. Which brings me to my second bullet point, which is that I am massively fed up with the amount of attention stories about predatory queer men get in the media and award ceremonies. Like just in the last few years, I'm thinking of Call Me By Your Name, which I know a lot of people really love, but also is about a relationship between a minor and a man in his 20s, which again, reinforcing that groomer stereotype. We've had The Power of the Dog, again, received a lot of critical acclaim, and certainly there are interesting things about it. But again, it's about a queer man who was groomed by another queer man and is now grooming a potentially queer teenager. It's that same harmful stereotype, no matter how it's being applied. And then this year... What I found incredibly distressing, the show Dahmer, Netflix initially put it in the LGBTQ category, which they quickly remedied. But obviously, putting a show about a serial killer who groomed and murdered queer men is an exceedingly crappy thing to do, putting that in the queer category, especially, again, given our social context. And then... It was nominated for Best TV Show in Golden Globes, and the actor who played Jeffrey Dahmer actually received the award for Best Actor in a TV Show. We are having all of this critical acclaim being given to a show that has been misrepresented as being a piece of queer media, and actually the families of the victims have said that they are not remotely comfortable with and is giving attention to serial killers and making them into celebrities, essentially, is just reinforcing these awful stereotypes. So I definitely understand that some people have really enjoyed these pieces of media, and I understand that there are certain elements of them that have merit, and I understand that it's important to allow queer people to exist as they are, not as some sort of idealized, perfect version of themselves. But at the same time, especially given that 
most of this media is being produced by large corporations and straight producers representing queer people in this way, in this particular environment is incredibly, incredibly dangerous and is throwing us under the bus. And I personally am not comfortable with that at all. And that is why I prefer the shows that we've highlighted here, because certainly the queer characters in them aren't perfect, but they're never reduced to stereotypes. And in particular, they're never reduced to actively harmful groomer stereotypes. Yeah. Definitely. So there are a couple of thumbs down examples for you if you want to know what we don't recommend. Yeah, this has been a fun conversation. I think we'll have to do one about movies at some point here, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, there for- are so many, so many queer movies that I like that came out this year that I never got a chance to watch. Yeah. Or yeah. last year. That'll be a good excuse. For sure. It'll be homework. Thanks for joining us. If you have any comments or disagreements with our rankings, go ahead and chime in. We'd love to hear it. Next episode, we are going to discuss the term queer. Which I've said about 70 million times in the last half hour. (laughs) Which I have seen a couple of things in the news about lately. The LGBTQ community is in some ways divided over this term. So we're going to discuss that, dig into that issue a little bit. Yeah, we hope you have a great next couple of weeks. Catch you next time. All right. If you would like to hear more from us, follow us on Instagram at queerkid.straightmom. Facebook at Queer Kid, comma, Straight Mom. Twitter at Queer Kid, Straight Mom. That's straight, that's spelled S-T-R-8. And if you would like to support us so that we can keep bringing you content like this, consider donating to us on Patreon at Queer Kid, comma, Straight Mom. And if you are enjoying our podcast, please rate, review, and follow us on your preferred podcasting platform.